This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. child, helping children calm, center, and make smarter choices, Maureen Healy. Maureen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. This is a line of work I am very passionate about, which we will talk about as we get into the conversation. But before we do, I just wanted to read your bio for the audience to help them get uh, a little more familiar with you and your line of work. Uh, Maureen Healy is the author of The Emotionally Healthy Child and also Growing Happy Kids, which won Nautilus and Reader's Favorite Book Awards in 2014. Congrats on that. That's a huge feat. That's great. Uh, A popular Psychology Today blogger and sought-after public speaker, Maureen runs a global mentoring program for elementary-age children and works with parents and their children in her busy private practice. Her expertise in social and emotional learning has taken her all over the world, including working with Tibetan refugee children at the base of the Himalayas, uh, in excuse me, in northern India, to classrooms in northern California. You can visit her online at www.growinghappykids.com, or if you're checking this out on the Be Here Now Network page. Simply scroll down and the link will be there to click. And Maureen, before I forget, I believe you said you have another website as well, if you want to uh, share that with our listeners. Sure, highlysensitivekids.com. Awesome. So we'll have that linked as well. And we'll talk a little bit about what that um, website entails as we uh, move along in our conversation. But uh, where I generally like to start, Maureen, is... Uh, with new guests, I I like to go back and talk before we get into the book a little bit about you. You know, as I'm I'm reading about you and, and it talks about in your book, you were a bit of a wild child yourself. So something I can very much relate to. Um, mm-hmm. I actually I laughed. There's a line um, where it said something to the effect of like how you would leave babysitters wondering if they ever wanted to have kids, and that brought me right back to my childhood. My brother and I. <laughs> God bless our babysitter souls. That's all I can say because they, you know, mm-hmm. if they lasted more than like two babysitting sessions, it was a miracle. We were, 
we were little hellions. <laughs> so enough about me. I would love to hear a bit about you, your childhood, and essentially what kind of led you to the path and the line of work you're in today. Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, you know, I was a child with a lot of very creative, very innovative and lots and lots and lots and lots of energy. Mm. Also had a lot of big emotions. So, you know, when I was growing up, parents, you know, parenting was a roof over the head, you know, a, you had a roof over your head and food on the table and you were a good parent, which is important. But it's, you know, we have a different consciousness now. We want to talk about the inner life of children. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, we didn't really say, you know, how are you feeling? That wasn't sort of part of the conversation. Right. So for me personally, you know, diving into the world of mindfulness and Buddhism and, uh, you know, really well-being and real true emotional health, you know, and finding those ideas and sharing them with children has been so joyful and meaningful to me personally. Sure. They're the information I would have loved when I was seven and eight. Mm. Which I can relate to. I, I know that you um, it mentions you've created a program and that's actually something I'm in the middle of doing myself uh, for teenagers. Uh, I've spent the last 15 years working with, though I'm not a fan of this term, for lack of a better word, at-risk youth, um, mm -hmm. anywhere ages 5 to 20. Uh, the last four years, I now do a bi-weekly workshop and then a one Sunday a month at a mental health and healing facility here in Connecticut with um, teens ages 13 to 20 who are there for anything from addiction to suicide attempts, self-harm. And um, so I think we both resonate in our passion for helping these younger generations. So um, but going back to your story, so, you know, the, you, you have that um, childhood and and what's your life like from there, you know, into teenage years? Were you still rebellious? Were you were where were your interests lying? Um, and when was it that you really kind of found your calling towards this line of work? And Another very, very good question. Um, you know, so uh, to piggyback on your work in Connecticut, I actually, um, I taught at a center in Connecticut and I, I taught, you know, children's happiness classes, actually. Nice. But yeah, so so that was real fun. But um, where, where in my path did I sort of connect with my path? I began my career working with CEOs and doing coaching. Mm. I have a BA and an MBA. And then I realized that oftentimes a Adults and CEOs sometimes act like children. So <laughs> I, I actually thought to myself, why don't I work with children? Like, why don't I start early on when people are more flexible and can change and can really learn these skills um, so that, you know, they can, it will change the trajectory of their life. Right. So I went back to school to study child development. And in that process, fell in love with writing. So authoring books, I just fell in love with the process of writing and then I also when I started connecting and work with children it was, it was sort of all these bells and whistles went off and it was just like oh this is where I'm supposed to be this is what I'm supposed to be doing mm. so I really start in, started in business doing coaching and counseling but moved more into working with children and teaching and coaching mm. so it wasn't a straight line so to speak but certainly every experience helped sort of lead me to the next one yeah, which I can very much relate in my own life. I um I always felt a passion for helping other people 
even for me, my first memories in ninth grade, I did what was called a peer helpers program, which was weird because I'm this alternative skateboarding kid. Mm -hmm. And the rest of this group is like your quote unquote, the normal kids, you know, like the the Mm -hmm. athletes, the band members. But we would go into the elementary school once a week and again, work with the kids that had behavioral issues. And I just felt this passion. And so for me, it was a bit more of a straight line in a way because I always felt that calling to be of service yet. Uh, I am also in recovery from drugs and alcohol. So that straight line took a lot of deep, deep dives and, you know, some near death experiences, some jail cells, some uh, psychiatric hospitals, you know, so it did zig and zag, but found my way through it. And and here I am. But, you know, I, I certainly can relate to, you know, starting at one point and then here you are, you know, years later. It's it's interesting how life takes its uh, twists and churns, so to speak. Um so so here we are and you and you have this wonderful book. I know it's not your first book. We'll talk about um your other work as well, but for the purpose of this conversation to begin with, um you have this wonderful book called The Emo- Emotionally Healthy Child Helping Children Calm, Center and Make Smarter Choices. Something I think any parent or not necessarily parent, any teacher, any family member, anyone that has children in their own lives could read i'm not a parent myself but i have two nieces you know and as i read this book i found a lot of benefit um in ways that i could interact with them um in a more skillful way so kind of to start with a bit of a cliche um what inspired you to write this book the emotionally healthy child well, I think there was a, a lot of different pieces, similar to what, how we started the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. these are the ideas that I wish I knew when I was seven. Right. But right. but also, you know, working with children and parents around the world and a- having a, a busy practice in California also, I had a lot of people come into my office and I they didn't have the luxury that I had to go living in India, studying with happiness teachers right. and really understanding at a deep level, how, what are emotions and how do they work? You know, how, how can I release them constructively? Mm-hmm. So I had these ideas and tools that were working with people that I knew that if I could put in, in a book, sort of like a cliff note, so to speak, you know, yeah, what, what are emotions and how do I help my children mm-hmm. handle them in a healthy way to move them in a happier direction? So mm-hmm. that was really the goal because people kept coming in with the same issues where they didn't know how emotions work. For example, if I talk to a child who's angry, right? right. And I say, how big are your emotions? You know, like, where, what are the size? They would say, oh, they're so much bigger. I said, are, are they bigger than you? They said, so much bigger than me, gigantic. So they didn't really have the aha that they're bigger than their emotions. Do you know what I'm saying? So oh, they totally. didn't have the, yeah, they didn't have the right, uh, or I don't want to say right, they didn't have the most skillful idea of their relationship to their feelings and that they were actually in control and had other choices. So giving them the ideas and the tools, you know, that shifts your behavior. You say, oh, I can do this differently because we all want to feel good. We want to feel healthier and happier. It's the how where we get stuck. Yeah. Well, and and I'm so grateful. Uh, Kind of on a side note, do you find that this book has been incorporated in any uh, form of classrooms or any, you know, have any schools adopted it into their curriculums that you're aware of? Yeah, it, it 
it, it has been adopted into the classrooms. It's interesting, though, because I wrote the book so that anyone could pick it up and use it. Right. But prior to prior to writing this book, I wrote a SEL or social and emotional learning curriculum for K to eight classrooms. Yeah. So a lot of the tools that are in this book have worked in, in classrooms as well. So there is that sort of natural marriage between the home and the classroom that, you know, tools in one place can work in another place. So, so it's helpful information. Yeah. Well, I ask, and I'm so glad to hear that. I ask because a lot of the work that uh, I've done, I, I used to work in an elementary school for many years. Um, and I remember a lot of the kids, like it was very low income, a lot of single parents and understandably mm -hmm. they're very busy. Um, and I, I remember hearing a lot of times people would say, you know, like things like compassion, they're supposed to be taught at home. And, you know, a lot of the things that you cover in this book that's supposed to be taught at home. Well, in an ideal world, sure. But the reality is some of these parents are working two or three jobs and they unfortunately don't have the time to do that. And I'll never forget, I had a conversation years ago with uh, two beautiful teachers, uh, their name Stephen and Andrea Levine and uh, Stephen unfortunately passed away but I'll never forget they mentioned how they would love to see implemented in say roughly third grade across the nation a compassion class just like a math class just like an English class a compassion class because it isn't always taught at home and so again that's why I'm glad to hear that this is um, found its way into schools because that's something I would try to incorporate is very basic, you know, very accessible for for elementary school age children. But, you know, little practices similar to what you said or little belly breathing exercises, but kind of making a game out of it a way that they could really they would be interested in it. So um, I'm, I am I'm just glad to hear that uh, that it is making its way around and hopefully maybe some people listening to this podcast that work in school systems will take the time to check it out and bring it into theirs as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I agree with you as far as if we look at the big picture, you know, in years gone by, we sort of look to the household to do yeah. these different things, but it's just, we have a different family situations nowadays. Yeah. So it really is in the classroom that emotional intelligence emotional health needs to be taught because if you don't handle the emotions you can never get to the academics you know right if you have a child with chronic stress or anger or sadness you know if they can't work through their emotions in healthy ways you just don't go to the other piece right. and you know we want everyone to have the same opportunity to succeed in life absolutely couldn't agree more very well said so let's uh let me ask you a, a very obvious question based on the title of the book I'm sure you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers, but this is your book. So I want to know in your words, how would you define an emotionally healthy child? Well, since it's such a sophisticated and complicated topic, quite yeah, honestly, sure. um, I, 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 yeah, I would just start at the beginning. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you the start of positive emotional health. Great. So where it be begin yeah where it begins is identifying your emotions and then learning how to constructively express them mm -hmm. of course that we know there are adults who are still learning that and we sure. all have our moments so that's not a it's we don't have to be perfect it's about progress 
but it, but positive emotional health begins with learning how to, you know, spot the emotions and then release them constructively. And that's any emotions. Yeah. It's not just our feel good ones. It's, you know, uncomfortable, jealousy, shame, anger, rage. I mean, it's all of the emotions and beginning to experience them, let them come and go and release them constructively is where it begins. Mm. And then from there, where where would it go? I mean, we've got time, so I would love to explore sure. this as, as much as you're uh, willing to. Totally. Um, you know, if we look at the big picture, it's from being rigid to yeah. more flexible, right? Emotionally healthy person is able to say, if you're a kid in the car and your mom says, oh, we have to stop and drop this at FedEx. You don't go, I don't want to stop. You say, okay, I can go with that. <laughs> you know, it's learning that flexibility. Yeah. So it's, it's learning how to be flexible. It's learning how to be careful versus careless. It's learning to be mindful versus mindless. It's learning how to have an emotionally healthy mindset, which I go into in the book. Part of that means you have to have values. You know, you have to to move in a positive direction. Gratitude, forgiveness, honesty. You know, you're not. A... There are things that are are more sophisticated and nuanced to the emotionally healthy child. For example, if you asked a child who came into the home, you know, you said, how was your day? And they said, oh, it was fine. But in truth, they were really, they had a rotten day. They were teased on the playground and they were sad. So repressing your emotions isn't healthy. It's the child who can say, you know, hey, I had a crummy day today. You know, that you need someone to be authentic and honest and aware. And sure, there are moments where you might just grin and bear it in the classroom or hold back your tears if you feel like that. But but to be open and honest about what's happening, that creates an authentic and meaningful relationship, which is really what we all want. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Um, so so that's great. So let's talk about or in the book, I know you say that there are three simple steps uh, that have the power to change everything when it comes to emotional health. Um can you talk about what those are and, and explain a little bit about how how they can be implemented, how they can be taught, you know, how parents can actually use them with their children? Sure. Um, I would say that they're simple to identify. I'm not I wouldn't say that they're <laughs> always simple. I wouldn't say that they were simple in practice. Sure. So because because the life, you know, the idea of something is uh, not so hard, but it's that practice that makes it a bit harder yes so the idea is that there's three steps we need to stop meaning to catch ourselves right to mm. stop the second is to calm and center and the third is to make that smarter choice so smarter choices it's good for you and good for someone else so the kid who's frustrated in the classroom or angry and throws his notebook across the classroom it was good for him to do that because he got some anger relief but the kid who he hit in the head with the notebook, that was not good for him. Right. So we want to help the kids make good choices that are good for them and others. Yeah. So, But the first step to stop and catch ourselves, that's really what we're talking about, self-awareness or mindfulness. You know, mm. we it, it takes a certain level of awareness for a child to say, oh, I'm bigger than the emotion. Oh, I can do this differently, right? I don't have to constantly push that kid when I get angry on the playground. I can walk away. Right. I can take a deep breath breath i can that's why i have a smart choices checklist in the book which is a great tool for you know the classroom or home and frankly for adults as well you know but it helps kids identify the different things they can do with these sometimes challenging emotions or even 
helpful emotions, even overexcitement. You can walk into the kitchen and hit the vase over because you're running around and it falls. Right. So it's really any of the emotions. Mm. And you know what's funny? I've got to say, you know, I'm listening to you talk about those. And I remember as I'm reading through the book, it's like, wow, yes, this is for children. And I think you've already mentioned this, but I'm like, adults could really benefit from this too. Um, right. You know, it's it's really, to me, a lot of it was back to basics, friendly reminders. I mean, I've spent years practicing meditation, mindfulness, trying to um, come from a more skillful place when a big emotion arises rather than a reactionary place, which I know is a lot of what you're getting at in your writing. Um, of course, easier said than done, but well worth the effort. And Man, if you can start to instill that in a child, you know, at, at that young age, what a difference it could make, you know, how much easier it will be when they become an adult to live more naturally from that place than to try to like from square one almost start to learn it and implement it when you're you're adulting, you know, you're working, you're paying bills, some people are raising kids, you've got so much stress. Um so I just I, I adore the fact that you're addressing this and and it is being taught to to children at such a young age. It's absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's how I felt about Buddhism when I studied sure. Buddhism. And yeah. I could I always, you know, as advanced as you got in all these different, you know, uh, systems and methodologies and meditations, I always thought it was the basics. Like we can do the basics correctly. You know, yeah. if oh, we yeah. can be kind, if we can be generous, if we can be forgiving, yeah. you know, th things work out better for us. But it, I always think it is the basics. I mean, just to resonate with what you're saying, you know, when we get the simple ideas and the tools, it's not about having a ton of tools in your emotional toolbox. You just have right. one that works. Stick with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So you say that um, helping our emotional right brain, uh, children bring their reason and logic, which is left brain, into the decision-making equation. And that's central to raising emotionally healthy children. So... I would love you to tell us more about that. But, you know, for those unfamiliar with the difference between the right and left brain, can you talk a bit about that? And then again, go a little bit deeper into how that does help create that more uh, emotionally healthy child. Well, sure. I mean, just to oversimplify it, to make it simple. Absolutely. Um, but not hope, but hopefully not too simple, as sure. Einstein <laughs> would say. Um uh, you know, the right brain is emotions and the left brain is more, more logic in yeah. general. And when we are having even your child or yourself, you're really angry and frustrated and that person cut you off in traffic. Oh, my goodness. Um, that's your right brain being flooded with emotions yeah. in that moment when you want to curse or you want to do a hand jab. Sure. Your logic isn't online. Your left brain isn't online saying, hey, they could have a gun. Hey, they could be angry. Right. Hey, you know, you have to you have to have your right and left brain on online. So you make the healthiest choices. And that goes for children. You know, when they're emotionally hijacked or flooded with emotions in their right side of their brain, they're so angry and mad that that kid called them such and such that they mm. punched him in the nose and he's in the principal's office. Obviously, his left brain or the logic wasn't online that said, hey, you know what? This is not a good idea. Right. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> this can really have dire consequences or this can have challenging consequences for me. Yeah. So you that's why I love the smart choices checklist I do, because it's 
is pre-paving a path for a child where they can use their right and their left brain, that they can recognize that every action they make has a consequence. Hmm. So let's try and make, you know, good thoughts, good actions. Let me try and release emotions constructively. I mean, none of our emotions are bad. They're all healthy. It's just what we do with them. So, for example, if I work with a family, I'd say, you know, and the child was getting very angry, I said, put a punching bag in the basement. Punch the punching bag. Or... Get a trampoline in the backyard and set a timer for 10 minutes and tell your son, go outside and jump on the timer and I'll come back in 10 minutes. I'll let you know. So you just need healthy outlets for your feelings. It's not that you don't feel your feelings. It's just that you use your logic and your use your intellect and your instincts or your emotions and your thoughts together to Mm. make good choices. Wonderfully said. So I want to take a second to to digress from this book. We will come back to it. But before the call or before we recorded, excuse me, you were mentioning another book you had done and, and you mentioned the website, which, again, I'm sorry, was. Sure. No, totally cool. Yeah. Highly sensitive dot com. Cool. And you had mentioned and this is something that I've been fascinated with for quite a while that it is based on, if I heard you correctly, a book you wrote um, that is about indigo children. Is that correct? Well, yeah, my I have my first book is Growing Happy Kids. And then yeah. the second one is the energetic keys to indigo kids. So those children, indigos, yeah. have have like high emotional sensitivity, but they also have fierceness. So mm. like they also have what many would call defiance or strong willed nature. So they're the kids who would say, I do not want to go to school today or I am not putting my socks on or I mm. that's not going to happen for me. So. Parents and adults, oftentimes, if they don't have that nature, don't know how to help them and don't have. So they were I was seeing a lot of these kind of kids in my office. Yeah. And I have I have some of that energy myself. I don't always want to go with the flow. I want to do something my way. Sure, you know? sure. So so obviously there's things that you need to do on the planet, whether it's pay your taxes or take your spelling exam on Friday or whatever it is. Right. So learning how to be in the world with this intense sometimes reactive energy and harnessing it for your good uh, takes time and practice. So that was why I wrote that second book for about indigo children. Even though it's a metaphysical term, it is that sensitive child who's very strong-willed or defiant. Yeah, I dig that. And I've read, and this could be my own ignorance, but I've read, um, you know, man, and it has been a while since I've read about this, so I could be completely off, but isn't there like an extra gene or a chromosome or or something that um, is believed to be associated with an indigo child? Or is that a myth? Or am am I completely confusing something with something else? I have no idea, but okay. <laughs> what, what what I would say is, I would say is, to my knowledge, we we haven't detected it in DNA. Sure, but we have done MRI studies, um, and it does show that uh, children and adults who are highly emotionally sensitive, which some of the you know the indigos fall under that umbrella, yeah, um, have a different nervous system. Okay, so they're. So their nervous system is slightly different. So they do feel things more deeply and they do react quickly. So helping them learn how to slow down and calm and make smarter choices like my current book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, is even more important for them because they want to react quickly. And they have that intensity that can go in any direction. They could, you know, hit someone or they could kiss you on the cheek and say, I love you. So obviously we want them to make those good choices. Yeah. 
Well, and, and that leads me to a question, you know, that, again, I love that you're giving these natural, um, you know, very easily accessible practices and teachings and things that, yes, yeah, sure, sometimes on paper are easier, but truly they are accessible. Um, but, you know, we live in a nation that is completely, in my own opinion, way over medicated. And that is not to say that in some cases medication is definitely needed or warranted. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not here to, to make that judgment. But what I can say is something I witnessed both with my own friends when I was um, in elementary school and high school and then working with kids was the amount of Ritalin and Adderall being pumped into these children when they're just, for the most part, children. You know, that they, mm-hmm. they're antsy, they're excited, they have energy. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, using these more natural practices versus that, or just the, the, the pharmaceutical uh, field in general in today's age uh, with our youth? Well, I've got lots of ideas on it. But, <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, we, we, there wasn't really a big dialogue about children and medication. Sure. But now, I, so many kids there in my office who are being medicated and mm. And I think that it's just the easy answer, and I don't think it's necessarily the right answer. And that's not to say there aren't kids who genuinely are clinically depressed, who genuinely have, you know, serious anxiety, serious OCD, serious bipolar. I mean, there are people who immediately clearly have a biological imbalance who need medication. But then there's a huge section of the population that can benefit from food and lifestyle and other healthy natural strategies that I would always try that stuff first right? and see what we could do. Um, you know, as long as there wasn't a serious situation on the hand, if there was something that we were, I would, I would try natural first if it made sense for that situation. But, you know, I think that, you know, in life we all want the easy answer and sometimes the easy answer isn't the right answer. So we have to really look at each situation carefully, but, um, I love working with kids and giving them tools that last a lifetime. Yeah. Um, sometimes when, you know, sometimes if I work with a kid for a while or I've done certain things, I say, you know, I, I think this, this situation needs a medical consultation mm-hmm. because sometimes if you don't get the biology right, they can't think a positive thought. They can't, you know. So, um, but I do think that there is a big population of children who if they had the ideas and the tools could really help themselves move in a healthier direction yes and i and i love that you bring up tools because that's another thing that i really appreciate about your book and i do similar in my books you know it's one thing i feel to write about these things and that is very important plant some new ideas but for me, where the rubber meets the road is actually in those action steps and providing people with tools and practices. And you do that. You have this book is full of very practical, accessible tools for parents, teachers, professionals, etc. And, you know, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe one or two that uh, a parent or a teacher or someone listening could start implementing as soon as they hear this podcast, like in real time. Sure. I mean, I think I always love what I mentioned it before, about the smart choices checklist, because I find that kids who are 
for lack of a better explanation, are having some behavioral issues, don't realize they have other choices in that moment. So they don't realize that they can do things differently. So when you help them recognize that when I'm frustrated and when I'm angry, you know, these are the different options I have. Oh, okay, I didn't have to punch that kid. Or, oh, I could walk away or I could... You know, sometimes it's that easy as helping them see other choices. Yeah. But I but I'm a big fan if we think about tools and strategies. Um, I'm a big fan of mindfulness and paying attention and helping ch- children learn how to spot the triggers in their bodies. Hmm. I have one tool called the volcano that helps with anger and one tool about the iceberg that helps with sadness <laughs> because we need to we need to spot our own triggers and my triggers aren't your triggers from an adult perspective. Um, you know, I know that if I eat bagels every day, I'm having a problem by the third day I go, Oh, I must be sad about something. It's my trigger. I, I recognize, Oh, there's something going on, but children are the same way If they can find out in their body when I'm angry. How do you feel? Where do you feel it in your body? Do you, did your, you know, do your palms, do you make fists? Does your heart beat faster? Do you get red? Do you start perspiring? Like, what is your physical trigger mm. so that you can spot the anger when it's annoyance and frustration versus epic size anger? So we want to spot the emotions when they're small so we can send them on their way. Yeah. Um, and I think the other piece, if I was going to give any adult parent, teacher, professional listening I would I would really I think the calming piece is really important because life is it's just the nature of life. Emotional health is a skill of balance. It's normal and healthy to get off balance. That's just what life throws us. But how we come back to balance is important. So tools of calming and relaxation. I think every night before a child goes to sleep, learning how to calm is important because then they can learn how to calm, whether it's before a test and they're getting anxious. For example, one child I work with, you know, there's a tool in the book where you put your hand on your heart and before you go to sleep, you, you feel your heartbeat, you watch your breath, you feel calm, you know what calmness feels like. So that when you are in another scenario, you put your hand on your heart and your body goes back to that feeling of calmness. So you're Mm -hmm. training your body and your mind to work together to bring you back to balance. And I think it's, I know it's that habitual, regular habits that really make a difference, not that once in a while kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. All very, uh, very useful. And and it is. It's easily accessible and applicable. So thank you so much for uh, being willing to share that. Um, You know, something else you write that I really appreciated in the book is you talk about or you say that wholeness is more important than happiness. I would love for you to elaborate on that. I'm happy to. And and guess what? I do think happiness is pretty darn important. Oh, yes. But... I, right. right. <laughs> but, but the idea is that wholeness. So wholeness is the idea that we can feel all from an emotional health standpoint, the idea that, that we can feel all of our feelings. There are no bad feelings. It's what we do with them. But we don't ignore them. We don't suppress them. We don't, you know, if you're a child, you don't numb yourself out with candy or video games. You experience what you're feeling and you learn how to express it constructively. So, um, you know, there are days that are sad. You know, there are days that are challenging. There are days that are joyful. There are days that are optimistic. You know, emotional health isn't a, a box that we check. It's something that we learn throughout our whole lives and we continue to deepen our awareness of who we are and what our emotions are and how to release them constructively. And from a a standpoint from children, we want to help them 
be comfortable with discomfort. Mm. I mean, sometimes life is just uncomfortable. It's, you know, I don't want to go to the DMV. I got to go sometimes, yeah, right? Sure. <laughs> I don't want to have a flat tire, but you know what? It happens. <laughs> so, so learning how to be okay with discomfort, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that you're bigger than the discomfort. Because if you are bigger than the discomfort, you're unbeatable. And a child needs to be brave to handle challenging emotions, to handle anger or jealousy or frustration. They need to be courageous and they right. need to be okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, when you're the first time you ever go in front of the classroom and read your book report, it's a little nerve wracking. You know, this is not comfortable. But you get to the other end and you realize, you know what, I could do that. That was so bad and you build your skills you build your confidence so um for example i worked with a child who was a perfectionist very very wanted everything to be just right to be happy yeah and i knew if we played the game clue and i knew if she lost she'd be really bummed this would not be okay she'd be uncomfortable yeah but in a safe environment i i i set it up so that she would probably lose but I could help her through those feelings. I could help her recognize it's not a big deal. Something, you know, the, that's the way we learn is to make mistakes and you fall down and you get back up again. Right. So that's a really important piece of emotional health that you don't become devastated by outcomes and challenges. You just remember who you are. You get back up and you, you, you do your best. And that, you know, the goal isn't to be perfect. It's to give your best and let go of the rest. I, I love that. Um, and it just makes me think of um, being in recovery, that one of the sayings, progress, not perfection. Uh, or when I read, um, I think it was The Four Agreements by uh, Miguel Ruiz. He talks about how your 100% is not going to be the same every day. And learning mm -hmm. to honor that, you know, that some days it'll be a little higher, some days it'll be a little lower. And just learning to work with what you have in that day, what amount of energy what amount the capacity of self-compassion you're able to give yourself. And I mean, I know we're talking a little bit more at an adult level, but I think that's still, you know, useful for children as well. And um, I've definitely spent time trying to uh, relate that to them in a way that uh, they can understand. And, and it does seem to help, which is, uh, which is cool to see kids. You know, I, I, one thing I found in talking with a lot of adults is um, I think they, this is, I'm not making a blanket statement, but a lot of adults, I feel, underestimate just how smart and resilient kids truly are. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that I've noticed that in my own experience over the years. Yeah, kids, kids don't miss it. Most children do not miss a trick. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and you have to, we don't have to be worried about what they don't see. We should be worried about what they do see, you know? Yeah, right. So. So I think that, um, you know, the magic of mirror neurons, this is a concept in science, yeah. is that when you're in the presence of someone else, it's infinitely easier to be able to learn a skill. So like yeah. when I went and studied with the Dalai Lama, it was so much easier for me to learn what he was teaching because not only do I read his books, but I was in his presence. Wow. Yeah. So that that's why you go to teachers. And he actually wound up writing the preface for my, the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. Yeah. Um, so in the next printing, that will be out. But, oh, awesome. But, yeah, but that's why we go, that's why learning is not only, you know, reading books and listening to audios, which is great, but when you're in the presence of someone else, that's why as a parent or teacher or professional, when you keep your emotional health house in order, it's easier for your kids or your students to mimic that. Right. So that's why it's so important. Yeah, agreed. 
And, and you know, something that, that um, you touch on, and it is a touchy subject, but one that is so necessary to be to be discussed in this day and age, tragically so, um, is school shootings. Uh, I have a brother. He is a high school math teacher and has been for, man, 15-plus uh, years. And I worry. You know, granted, he's not in a... Um, a high risk area, but a lot of the school shootings that have happened have not been in high risk areas. So, you know, I'm wondering since that is a reality, I mean, I live here in Connecticut. I will never forget the morning of that Sandy Hook incident. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually getting on an interview uh, for one of my books that just come out. And I remember the interview was actually with someone in Connecticut they had the news on in the background and we ended up uh, postponing the interview because it, you know, the news was just unfolding and it was like, this can't be happening, but it was. So mm-hmm. all that to say, you know, since it is a reality, what, what would you suggest? I mean, do you have thoughts on parents having that conversation with their children about these kinds of things that happen in the world? It's such a good question. I mean, I participated as one of the experts with Highlights Magazine this year. Wow. And they did, yeah, and they did a survey with children, and their number one fear in elementary school is the school shooting. So, so it's on their minds and hearts. You know, I mean, it wasn't something I thought about growing up, but it's there now. So, we have to help our children cope with uncertainty, whether it's the school shooting or something else, but there is a lot of uncertainty in the world. Yeah. And that's a big reason why I love mindfulness practices. And I have a whole chapter and bunches of tools and strategies to make paying attention fun with your children so that you can bring kids back to the present moment where everything is okay, because you want them to feel safe and secure, or at least know that you're doing everything you can, and you're putting them in a school where you know what they're doing, because children aren't stupid. They know that there's, you know, especially if they're exposed to media, that there's stuff that happens in the world. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, um, but they need to know that their parents have their back, that the people that are surrounding them are love and adore them, and they can come back to the present moment where hopefully things are, you know, in the moment all is well. Because when we're afraid, it's in the future or something in the past, right? It, yeah. We're afraid of something that just happened or is that going to happen at my school? But right. in the moment, things are okay. So you need to help them come back to the present moment where they're safe, where they're loved, where they're connected, where they're supported. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's child dependent. Some kids really do want to talk about it and some kids don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But we, we want to make them know, they, we want them to know that they're unconditionally loved and supported and we have their back. We're working on everything here. We may not have solved the big issue yet, but we're on the ground doing the best we can. Yeah. And, and, what um, more can and I do? think as a child, <laughs> Right. And, and as a child, they need to know that. Yeah. So well said. I, I appreciate all of your insight, uh, Maureen. What's next? I mean, so you have this book out. It's absolutely wonderful. You have two books before it. Um, what What are you working on now? What, what can people expect uh, down the line from you? What a good question. It's so funny that you say that because no one has asked me that yet. Well, <laughs> I'm being sincere, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. I really I'm a fan. And so I'm curious what what yeah, what 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 can maybe I'm just asking for myself then. But yeah, what what's uh, what are you working on or what do you have in store? You're such good question. Well, Thanks. I do love teaching. Yeah. So I do love teaching. So I'll 
a bit do a bit more teaching in the classroom. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, my next uh, writing project will be a, a something for children. So I haven't written specifically for children yet, but that's on the horizon because yeah. I just I, I love writing for adults and it's great to have adults who work with children. But at some point I have to kind of write directly to kids yes. because the one one of the things that I know that's unique about me um, is that I really understand a child's mind so I understand the language that lands in their mind mm. and I find a lot of time that my work is really translating from kid to adult and from adult to kid so that people understand each other better so uh, I, I look forward to writing something directly for children I love it well I can't wait for that um and lastly, I mean, we I know we covered a lot of ground in this book, um, and there's still a lot that wasn't covered. So what I would like to do is give you the last couple of minutes here. Is there anything that we didn't touch on in the book that you would like to discuss and, and uh, leave our readers with? Yeah, I mean, I guess the big piece of the puzzle for me is just, just that emotional health is a skill to learn. It's like going to the gym to build a muscle. You have to go and, and work on it. So it's it doesn't necessarily come from great genes or great parents, although those are helpful. But it's a skill anyone can learn. And being able to do that for ourselves and with our children, I think, is is uh, one of those things that just sets everyone in a healthier, happier direction. So um, I would say that. And I would also say on, on my website, Growing Happy Kids, if you sign up for the newsletter, you get a, a, you know, a sample chapter from my book, which might be interesting. Awesome. Uh, well, Maureen, I can't thank you enough. Uh, the name of the book, again, is The Emotionally Healthy Child, Helping Children Calm, Center, and Make Smarter Choices. I truly believe this is a book that is, I would recommend it to anyone. Because whether you're an adult uh, or a parent or a teacher or a professional, there are, there are children in our lives, whether directly or indirectly, and it is of the utmost importance that we learn to be as skillful in our interactions with them as possible. And this book um, is a wonderful map or blueprint of just how to do that. So I deeply bow to you, Maureen, for writing such an important book. I'm glad to know it's out in the world. I hope that uh, listeners go out and buy a copy and share it with their loved ones. And um, and yeah, just really thank you. I appreciate your time. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mark. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.